back to the Evidence Based Dermatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 72 of Vacapan for the treatment of anchor associated vasculitis. This is a randomized double blind placebo controlled trial. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine on February 18th of 2021 by Jane et al., also known as the Advocate Trial. Now, as I mentioned a little while back in a housekeeping episode, I've been quite busy with research projects, new baby, home remodeling, and have been a little behind in podcasting, but I had to hop back to talk about this trial. It is a trial that a lot of us have been waiting for eagerly, and it did not disappoint in the headline results. I wound up taking a couple days to digest it before putting out a podcast because as I was reading through it, I noticed a couple things that bothered me a little bit, and I wanted to make sure that I had a firm handle on them before I discussed the trial, but I'm ready, so let's talk about the trial. What is Avacapan? Well, it's an orally administered small molecule C5A receptor. If you're interested in the complement system and vasculitis, I highly recommend the recent podcast by Adam J. Brown on his excellent podcast. But I'm not going to talk about that too much today because, frankly, I don't like or <laughs> totally believe in pathophysiology. So let's talk about this trial. It was performed at 143 centers in an international, randomized, double-blind, double-dummy controlled trial. Talk about what double-dummy means in just a minute because it's kind of a mouthful. To get into the trial, you had to have newly diagnosed or relapsing granulomatosis with polyangitis or microscopic polyangitis. I'm going to call that vasculitis from now on. Notably, you needed to have PR3 or MPO positivity. You had to have some renal function, but the EGFR cutoff was 15 milliliters per minute, which is nice. These people could have relatively serious renal disease. You also had to have active disease by the Birmingham Vascularis Activity Score. Not going to go into the specifics of that. What happened if you got into the trial? Well, you were randomized in a one-to-one ratio to receive 30 milligrams of avacapan twice daily, plus matching placebo, or you were randomized to an oral tapering regimen, plus avacapan matching placebo. That's the double dummy part that I mentioned earlier. One notable thing about randomization is that it was stratified by uh, ANCA positivity, whether you're PR3 or MPO, whether you're newly diagnosed or relapsing, and whether you receive cyclophosphamide or rituximab. Cyclophosphamide or rituximab were given at the discretion of investigators, which is important and pretty common for trials like this. There's still some disagreement about what the appropriate induction therapy for vasculitis is. Most people are moving towards rituximab, but there are many cases where, where reasonable people feel like cyclophosphamide should be the lead, and I agree with them in some such cases. That takes me to one of the first problems with this trial, which is something that the investigators really couldn't avoid. Recruiting people to a trial takes time, and you can't just not treat someone with active vasculitis while you have your research coordinator meet with them and have them come do the screening visits and all that jazz. So a lot of people are already on glucocorticoids. If you're doing a trial where glucocorticoids is one of the active comparators, you kind of have to get rid of it. So patients had to be tapered to 20 milligrams or less before the trial began, and then they had to be tapered off within four weeks. All patients still received induction therapy. That could be either cyclophosphamide, essentially through the Cyclops regimen. A couple people got oral cyclophosphamide or rituximab at the standard dosing from the RAVE protocol, which is 375 milligrams per meter squared of body surface area for four weeks. This brings me to my second complaint with this trial, that there is an inadequate standard of care. This takes a little bit of mental gymnastics to understand, because in a randomized controlled trial, theoretically things like this shouldn't matter as much. Both the avacapan group and the prednisone group wound up getting the same background standard of care, so it's not as if they were treated differently. If you have a relatively effective treatment, 
like rituximab and prednisone, for disease, it can wind up being pretty hard to show a difference for a novel agent. Say standard of care resulted in 99% of patients going into durable remission. You're not going to see any benefit from a vacapan in that case, pretty much regardless of how well it works. We do not think that current standard of care is anywhere close to 99%, but at the same time, the current standard of care is pretty good, and I would argue that these patients did not get that. After their induction therapy with cyclophosphamide, they're transitioned to azathioprine. It's a little bit confusing because in the actual text of the method section, they say cyclophosphamide was followed by oral azathioprine at a target dose of 2 mg per kilogram per day. No rituximab was given beyond the first four weeks. They don't say whether or not rituximab was actually followed by anything. When I first read this trial, I had this sinking sensation that they didn't do anything for those patients, which would be pretty crazy. To give this its due, I actually dug into the original protocol, and it didn't say anything there on clinicaltrials.gov, but they did publish the protocol, and in the published protocol, there is a little graph that shows patients getting rituximab followed by azathioprine. So I think both groups got azathioprine. Is that a problem? Well, I would say that it certainly is in the wake of the rituximab study. It's not actually published yet, and to the credit of these authors in the company, they didn't entirely know that azathioprine would be an inferior maintenance therapy, but we sure do now. The number needed to treat to result in one relapse for giving azathioprine as opposed to rituximab maintenance based on the rituximab data is something like four people. I have moved away quite strongly from azathioprine maintenance therapy. I would imagine that the investigators in this trial have also moved away from azathioprine for maintenance therapy in the wake of that data. And I would bet they agree with me that the maintenance therapy in this trial in retrospect and with the knowledge we have now was inadequate. More troubling than the azathioprine issue to me is the actual prednisone taper. Say I was going to design a, t a trial and I wanted to give patients with vasculitis a prednisone taper. There are two very plausible options for this based on the PEXAVAS trial, which was ongoing at the same time as this Avacapan trial. The first would be a standard taper where they start at 60 milligrams at week one and taper down to five milligrams over an entire year. Say you didn't want to do the standard taper because you believed in a reduced dose taper. Well, Pexavas reduced dose taper also started at 60 milligrams, give or take, depending on weight, and it brought you down much faster. Patients who had, say, a weight of 50 to 75 kilograms would be to a dose of 5 milligrams by week 16. But then they were continued on 5 milligrams of prednisone. There is a trial right now ongoing known as the Tapir study that is going to assess whether or not we can get rid of that last 5 milligrams of prednisone. But we didn't know at the time of this trial that you could get rid of that last 5 milligrams of prednisone. At the time of this trial, in fact, a reduced dose taper still wound up giving people 5 milligrams of prednisone at week 26. In this trial, the prednisone taper bottomed people out to 0 milligrams of prednisone by week 21. In my opinion, that is not only a fast taper, but it is a faster taper than the fastest taper than had ever been studied before in this disease. This is obviously problematic. Because if you're comparing a vacapan to a prednisone regimen, it would be ideal to do a fair prednisone regimen. This trial gave even less prednisone than the least prednisone that people seem comfortable giving today. And to me, that is just a problem. We are not evaluating a vacapan with the background of the best standard of care, which would be rituximab maintenance therapy, in my opinion. And we're not comparing a vacapan to a standard dose of prednisone or even a reduced dose of prednisone. We are comparing a vacapan to prednisone that we get rid of by week 20 and put people onto zero. No matter what the results wind up showing, this is a limitation of the trial. 
that said, I'd like to move on and talk about the primary endpoints, which were clinical remission at week 26, which is defined as a BVAS of zero, and no receipt of glucocorticoids for four weeks. They also had sustained remission, which they defined as remission at week 26 and week 52, and no glucocorticoids before, for four weeks before week 52. These both seem reasonable to me. They had a number of great secondary endpoints, including the novel glucocorticoid toxicity index, which I think is a good idea, especially in a trial where you're looking at glucocorticoid toxicity. And to the author's great credit, they managed to find the time and the space to report patient-reported outcome measures. Analysis was done by a modified intention to treat, and one of my other least favorite things, which is a non-inferiority design, was used at week 26. They set negative 20 percentage points as their non-inferiority margin, which is fine, but a little wide if you ask me. I would like less non-inferiority than that. And then they tested in a gatekeeping procedure the following things. Non-inferiority at week 52, superiority at week 52, and superiority at week 26. I like this. This is a way that you maintain your type 1 error rate. You're not testing a bunch of things. You're testing one thing, and if that's positive, then you get the permission to, te to test the next one. The rest of the stats were all more or less appropriate. So let's talk about who got into this trial. Patients were 61 years of age, give or take. They're mostly male, 60 versus 40%. They're mostly white, 80 some percent, which is unfortunate. I wish there was a little more diversity in the demographic makeup. There are more newly diagnosed patients than relapsed, 70 versus 30%. PR3 and MPO positivity were roughly equal. BVAS scores were 16, give or take, on entry, which is a relatively high BVAS score. These are patients with active vasculitis. The majority got rituximab, 65 versus 35%, which I think roughly reflects what's happening in the world. So that's reasonable. Renal involvement was common at 81%, but chest involvement was almost half, and nervous system involvement was 1 in 5. So pretty good spectrum of involvement. On to the results. With regard to the primary outcome measure, which was remission at week 26 in a non-inferiority design, avacapan was non-inferior to prednisone. 72% in the Vacapan group versus 70% in the prednisone group were in remission. That is a very impressive result. Rheumatologists have been dreaming about prednisone-free remission for quite some time, and this trial suggested that we may be getting there. That is a really cool thing, and you can't understate how exciting for a rheumatologist this is to see. The idea that I could treat someone with ankyovasculitis, which is one of the scarier things that we deal with, with no prednisone, is honestly a little bit startling. You could probably guess, because those numbers were relatively close together, that that wasn't superior, but it was certainly met the non-inferiority margin, and my concerns about them setting the, the bar at negative 20 percentage points is alleviated because it wound up being about the same. That is further alleviated because at week 52, Avacapan looked superior to prednisone with regard to sustained remission. 66% in the Avacapan group were in sustained remission versus 55% in the prednisone group. That's a roughly 11 percentage point absolute difference, give or take number needed to treat of nine patients. I would be much more impressed with that number if it weren't for the aforementioned concern about prednisone. What if we had left those patients on five milligrams of prednisone for the duration? Do we think that week 52 sustained remission result would have persisted? I don't really know. I suspect that there would be a lot less flares in the prednisone group, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to find out that. Had we given 5 milligrams of prednisone, which most rheumatologists view as relatively non-toxic and a relatively reasonable thing to continue people on for a relatively long period of time, there's a very good chance that those groups would have been the same. This is why trial design up front can often make results that look really impressive on the back end less exciting when you dissect down further. Compounding this issue is the issue of cost. 
Five milligrams for prednisone for 26 weeks is something like $30. It's really not a lot of money. A vacapan for 26 weeks, I would be willing to bet it'll be over $35,000. With regard to safety, overall, this is a very exciting result. Severe adverse events were similar between the vacapan and the prednisone group. Life-threatening adverse events were a little bit more common in the prednisone group, 8.5% versus 4.8%, but this was not tested, so we don't know if that is statistically significant. And glucocorticoid-related toxicity was higher in the prednisone group, which you'd expect, 81% versus 66%. So overall, it looked like patients had less flares and did better on avacapan. Notably, and this is a concern with complement inhibitors, there was no increased rate of Neisseria meningitidis, which from a pathophysiologic perspective may make sense because this is only a C5A inhibitor, not a C5B inhibitor. Again, reference Adam J. Brown's excellent podcast if you'd like to know more about that. Before I wrap things up, I do want to talk about some of the secondary endpoints because they are very interesting. So that glucocorticoid toxicity index that I mentioned was statistically significant in favor of the Avacapan group. Some very beautiful bar charts showing this. There was actually a benefit with regard to um, estimated GFR. So the people in the Avacapan group seemed to do better, and they were already seeming to do better at 26 weeks. So the issue of dropping people off a prednisone cliff, I don't think is what drove this. It looks like people who got Avacapan did even better than people got prednisone with regard to changing GFR. It wasn't a huge difference, maybe a couple points, but it was something. And I would be interested to see in future studies if there's actually any difference in progression to end-stage renal disease. As I mentioned, they did find the time and space to report patient report outcome measures. The SF36 was statistically significantly better, favoring the Avacapan group. The EQ5D, which is a measure of fatigue, was also better at week 52, favoring the Avacapan group. But remember, this is the people who fell off the prednisone cliff. At week 26, I don't think it was statistically significantly different, but at least numerically, it favored the Avacapan group. So across the board, it looked like people in the Avacapan group did better. Last but not least, I want to talk about one final concern about this trial when it comes to applying this to clinical practice. If you're keeping along with me and scrolling through the supplement, check out figure S7. It shows the mean daily total prednisone equivalent dose that patients in the Avacapan or the prednisone group got. And what you see is that people in the Avacapan group still got prednisone. Not nearly as much, but they did get prednisone. And a lot of that has to do with the rituximab that they got up front. If you're going to give rituximab and avacapan as your treatment strategy, this isn't a problem because you will also be giving some prednisone up front. But there's a little asterisk on this trial, which is that it wasn't truly prednisone-free remission. It was prednisone-less remission. On that note, let me highlight my other concerns again, which is that the taper here was just fast. People got dropped down on prednisone quickly, to some degree, that may have been mitigated by people getting prednisone during the screening interval, but I just can't get over the fact that they went to zero prednisone. When many of us continue prednisone for five milligrams during the first year, as they did in the low-dose taper for the Pexavast study, and the fact is that that is just a very cheap thing to do when compared to 26 weeks of ongoing avacapen. I also just don't love the background therapy. We know now, based on the rituximab study, that rituximab is a better maintenance therapy than azathioprine, and I just can't help but wonder what happens to that perceived benefit of avacapan if we have everyone on a better maintenance therapy at week 52. Would we still see so many flares in the prednisone group? I think not. What if we left them on 5 milligrams of prednisone? I think not. None of these concerns detract from the fact that this is a really cool trial, and this is a really exciting drug that I know I will be using for people with ankylosis. Less prednisone is a laudable goal, 
The suggestion that this has better for your GFR is very impressive. And the fact that they hit on the PROs makes me feel good about this. Drugs that work make people's lives better. It looks like people who got a Vacapan reported feeling better overall, and that matters a lot to me. We're in the business of saving lives and improving lives, and it looks like this one at the very least does the latter in a way that matters to me and would certainly matter to your patients. That's it for this week, but one last thing before I go. If you haven't yet heard or looked into the Room Madness Tournament, I highly recommend you check it out. It's a March Madness-style tournament where you get to pick rheumatology topics. I happen to be one of the people who will be deciding which particular topic goes forward, and if you've listened to this podcast, you already have a leg up because you have something of an idea of what I think about this trial, which will be included in the bracket. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to follow me at EB Room, and have a great week.